When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons, in for Owen Bennett, who is still away. I'm joined, as usual, by Graham Dominic and Paul War. I'm not even going to pretend this isn't just going to be about Brexit this week. That's the main game in town. Um, but today we kind of had a Labour intervention. Um, it turned out that most Labour voters, or half of Labour voters, don't know which side the party's on. Uh, today, Jeremy Corbyn delivered a speech that was supposed to clear that up, uh, but did it. Uh, here's a clip of Corbyn being asked whether his tactic of attacking George Osborne's warning of an economic shock if we left the EU was particularly helpful. Do you think attacking the Treasury forecast about Brexit as hysterical hype is, tra- is muddying the waters for many Labour supporters? No, I don't think it is at all. It's pointing out that there's a distinctive view we take. We obviously disagree with the economic strategy being pursued by this government. This is a serious issue, it's a serious debate, and that's how we intend to pursue it. So uh, we are putting the case, which I've put this morning, has been put every day by Labour Party members and supporters all over the country. So, Paul, what was the main case Corbyn made today for Remain? You were at the speech uh, this morning. Oh, I, didn't, I actually wrote the speech, but wrote it up. <laughs> um, no, the key thing today in his message was that he was trying to get to Labour voters who are wavering about what to do in the whole Brexit vote. And he was basically saying, look, if you want to keep your workers' rights, if you want to protect your wages, if you want to protect things like human rights, environmental protections, a whole range of things that Europe has delivered over the years, even basic things like you know keeping the beaches clean, mm. um, which is a, a good issue for someone like like Jeremy Corbyn, who sort of remembers those days of dirty beaches and and flags not going up. Um, even th- little things like bee pollination, very Jeremy Corbyn esque. On all these things, the EU has been a good thing. So he says unequivocally, you should be voting in. But and there's a big but. He says at the same time. We don't just want to be in Europe, we want a reformed Europe. Now, this is the old Jeremy Corbyn. This is the pre-Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, who's always been against this thing called the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, TTIP to its friends. Uh, a free trade deal, which Jeremy Corbyn and, um, and many people in the Labour Party have got real worries about. Trade unions have got worries about it because they think that actually it's going to open the floodgates to privatisation of British Do you think services. this is going to work, though? Because TTIP, I mean, David Cameron's a massive advocate, as is Obama. When Obama was over here, he cited that as perhaps a reason to stay. I mean, Graham, do you think it works, this idea of, of Corbyn having a very different message from Maine than the main Remain campaign? the main Remain campaign, yeah. which is you know Cameron and Osborne and, and everyone else. Well, I, I, I did. I kind of initially thought that it was useful to have a kind of a, a sceptical pro-Europe view, if, if that is such a thing, because there will probably be lots of people who are, are in that position. But I'm not convinced there are lots of people in that position. And this idea that the Labour, uh, that the people are tuned into the nuance of a thing called TTIP, which actually... A lot of journalists probably couldn't explain the ins and outs of it. So how 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 is Joe Public going to be able to explain it? So I think it's a kind of it's a very strange 
position to be t- to be taking to be three weeks from the from, from the referendum um you know this is when people are actually starting to tune in um and and, and so, so maybe the fact that they don't know where labor stands is understandable because because nobody I, I, nobody's cared but three but but now people are tuning in you're kind of saying well we, we we kind of we kind of do like it but if we if we reform this kind of very complicated trade deal that that, that most people couldn't explain in a couple of paragraphs. I just think that's going to make it more confusing and, and people are going to be more confused rather than less. How fair do you think it is, Corbyn said today, that kind of part of the fault why Labour voters don't know what side the party's on, or half of them don't, is that it's our fault, it's the media's fault, that we're not you know, giving the Labour side of the campaign enough coverage because we're obsessed with the Tory psychodrama, as it's called. I think that's completely unfair. And uh, having witnessed um, Laura Coombsburg being hissed today, I have to say I haven't, haven't felt that much hostility against the media at, at an event in all my years of covering politics. Really, in, it was worse in, than... in quite that way. I've been to Tory manifesto launches where hacks have asked questions and then been booed by Tories in the audience. Mm. So it's happened with the Tories in the past. They've managed to rein it in because it does not look good, as well as getting you a bad press, obviously. Um, but, you know, Ed Miliband, you know, famously failed to intervene in the, in the Labour conference early on in one of his first speeches when Tony Blair was booed from the floor. And he suffered from that. He, he later realised that actually, you know, he should intervene and say, look, let the journalist ask the question. We've got to believe in a free press. You know, I don't mind questions. And he could have done a bit more of that today. The, the, the difficulty is, as Graham says, is, is he watering down the, the in-camp message, Jeremy Corbyn, today? And Hilary Benn and other people on the Labour side have been really, and Alan Johnson, have all been saying, look, this ballot paper only has two options on it. It has remain or leave. It does not have, well, I'd quite like to remain and reform, but, you know, or it doesn't have, I'd like to quit, but only under these circumstances. It's a simple binary choice. And if you're undermining that simplicity, then there is a problem. All I was going to say was on, on the booing of, of, of the BBC, the, the only recent parallel I can think of is in the, in the um, Scottish independence referendum when there were nationalists kind of picketing outside the BBC. And I do remember being in a uh, SNP fringe event at the conference last year and when um, a, a journalist from the BBC and the Daily Mail asked a question that they were being booed by the crowd so those kind of similarities there and I hope the similarities continue not not in that in much but in terms of the kind of debate on the streets that was apparently raging in in Scotland um two years ago I think was maybe we're starting to see a bit of that a bit of the a bit of what happened in Scotland a bit of cut through happening now that people are talking about it in pubs and so three weeks ago it's starting to maybe kind of actually connect with people now we've been talking about Labour um, obviously, the Tory kind of internal battle is still going on. Uh, Graham, you interviewed Jacob Rees-Mogg, the MP for the 1800s. Yes. Uh, what did he have to say about the campaign? One of the more kind of colourful, interesting characters. Yeah, well, J- Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's, who's a bit of a kind of cult figure, really, and and a um, a, a, a well-known figure, but a kind of Tory backbencher who's, who's not a cabinet minister, who's not, not a senior position, but he sometimes gained, gained kind of status as as, as 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 somebody that people turn to. Um, he's firmly Brexit, um, as, as people might not be surprised 
surprised to hear. Um, and he, and and he, he he's great for a soundbite. He gives good, he gives good copy, as we say, as we say in the business. So um, I ran for a few of the things that he's um, he, he's been known for in this campaign. He's he's clashed with Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, on a couple of occasions. He said Mark Carney should be should be should be fired. He shouldn't be given the privilege. Of, of why, why should Carney be fired? What because the... he, because because Carney, according to Jake Rees-Mogg, is in the pocket of of the Treasury and George Osborne, and he's basically spewing the propaganda. And he actually that, used he, that phrase isn't he, he, in the pocket of the it, 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 in the pocket, which is which is strong stuff. But he didn't he didn't stop there. He he you know he he, he took aim at um, Barack Obama uh, and the the intervention of the the, the, the the foreign greats and the goods. He said that nobody cared about what Barack Obama had to say unless you were a fan of West wing and that, that excites people who are what the US president has to say excites those kind of nerdy people but most other people I don't care I love the care. West Wing does that make me a nerd yeah, it makes you a nerd yeah. Yeah. You, you, okay. you are a nerd had a TV though has he ever seen the West well, Wing well that was as much of a revelation as anything else the <laughs> idea that Jacob Rees-Mogg has a television and box sets wow. like any other VHS box sets normal political <laughs> but, but the, the, perhaps a, a, more interesting still was the idea that and this fits into this idea of, of Tory, Tory civil war um, Jacob Richmond was saying that people are laughing at David Cameron's claims about uh, Brexit being kind of apocalyptic, that, that ISIS supports it, that that Putin supports it, that world war will, you know, the war, war will happen. And, and Rhys Mogart wondered whether Kim Jong-un has, has expressed his preference yet or whether the, uh, <laughs> whether the, I mean, the UK should maybe, come and go. And the idea, a... that, the idea that uh, largely a loyal kind of... Tory backbencher is saying that people are laughing at you, my leader, my prime minister. I mean, maybe that's the argument for why Jeremy Corbyn's sort of, I'm not totally convinced, but I'm on balance on side with staying in, perhaps might have some merit. It does have some merit with with some voters who who think actually a lot of voters are, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, rabidly for or against. A lot of voters are in the middle and really making up their minds. And there's a lot of undecideds, particularly women. A lot of women still undecided on this. And that's Corbyn's intention today was, you know, I'm making a nuanced case. And he claims the media doesn't reflect that nuance. Um, obviously, on HuffPost, we do reflect that nuance. Always. But um, I, I'm not sure getting into spats with the BBC is, a, is, is necessarily the way to do on it. The, on the Tories stuff, we saw sort of Michael Gove, Boris Johnson really stepping up their attacks on Cameron over immigration. I mean, is this relationship salvageable? Every week, every day, it seems to get more and more perhaps personal or you know, the longer it goes on. Paul, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, Cameron last week on Friday said that actually he was going to take a self-denying ordinance on future sort of personal remarks. That He's kind of held to that this week, but not everyone has. I mean, there's no question there was a lot of bile around over the bank holiday. You know, people like Priti Patel mm. saying, look, basically it's posh, rich people don't understand what voters' worries are about the European Union. I and mean, that was a direct attack on Cameron. Um, there's, there's been a lot well, of this. Yeah, I love Chris Grayling insisting that everyone's getting on just fine and there's no personal outcome in Well, it, it doesn't quite wash, does it? I mean, let, let's be honest. There is a real personality clash going on between the PM and Boris. And also, there's a lot of rancour with the fact that people like Boris and Michael Gove have been relied on to be loyal. And, 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 and maybe originally the whole plan was... Gove and Boris said, look, we're going to make our principal position clear, but we're not going to really come after you, Prime Minister. Boy, have they come after it, <laughs> as we've seen every single day. Do we, do we not have short memories in politics, though, in, in as much as um, we've just had a London mayoral campaign where um, the, the Tories and Labour were tearing chunks out of each other, the dirtiest campaign ever. 
and now Sadiq and uh, um, Cameron are sharing a, a, share, a sharing a platform as, a, yeah. as as we call it. You can let bygones be bygones if, for 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 whatever whatever causes. I'm not sure I'm convinced about that myself when it comes to the Tory Party. But these things you can sweep them under the carpet. You can move on and can dismiss them as. Well, ultimately, you know, look at Trump in the states. You know, a lot of the Republicans who loathe Trump are finally coming on board, saying, "Well, actually." I'd rather have Trump than Hillary, it's really, at the end of the day. It might be the same with the Tories. Interesting you mention America, because oh. I've got a stat of the week. Good. I mean, Gra- Graham's got a stat of the week. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, because, obviously, your Graham is moving to America, so I thought you need to brush up on your American politics. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it's Ed- going to... Educational for everybody. This is a, this is a stat. Stat of the week. Okay. Uh, if you can oh, read my this is, this hastily is a, typed... This is, a, this is a long stat of the week, listeners. Um... While a pres- while pre- presidential primaries are going on, there's typos here, Ned. This is why I'm stumbling. While presidential primaries are going on, there's also primary elections for Democratic and Republican U.S. Senate candidates. California is different. Rather than the Republicans and Democrats each choosing one candidate to go up against each other, there is one big mashup of a primary which includes all candidates and all parties. This is like a royal rumble in wrestling. Yeah, that, absolutely. That That's what's happening. There's 34 candidates. Wow. Okay, the two candidates who come first and second then go head-to-head in the general election. In the blue state, California, this means that there's likely to be no Republican on the ballot in November. It will be two Democrats fighting each other. That's extraordinary. So, obviously, California, very Democratic. That's not even week. a chance that there could be a Republican yeah. senator. That is good, Ned. That is good. Not sure it's quite counts as stats. You sound but... surprised. You well, I'm just used to Owen's it? stats that are... Uh, <laughs> uh, we, learn, we learn less about the world as a result, <laughs> Right, so now, uh, yesterday we had um, this Vice News documentary that came out about Jeremy Corbyn. It was a half an hour programme with sort of behind the scenes, fly on the wall of them tackling sort of eight, eight weeks of, of problems and issues. Um, here's a clip of Seamus Milne, who's Labour's communications director, uh, revealing to the Vice News journalist that he suspects there's a Tory mole at the top of the party leaking PMQ's details to David Cameron. Well, Does someone know what it's about before? This time it did, because it, would, it leaked. It oh, yeah. leaked from that meeting. It's, it's very annoying, because it only happens about a third of the time, but it obviously gives them a little bit of extra time. Whenever there's a leak, it gives them that advantage. And it gives them the advantage on TV as well. That claim obviously caused a bit of a stir in Labour HQ, and uh, the General Secretary had to kind of apologise to everyone and say, no, no, we, we trust you all. Um, Paul, what do you think we learned from that documentary? What was your... Favorite bit or something that you thought we actually got out of that? You know, I think it's one of those polarizing documentaries in the sense that people who like Jeremy Corbyn will kind of like that documentary. They and this is one of the main reasons. Don't forget that they did this thing. I mean, it's easy to think, look, they're being a bit naive, letting the cameras in at close range, hearing these private conversations. But the reason they did it, so they suggest is because they're going above the heads of the mainstream media, they're going to a wider, younger audience, they think are key readers of, of Vice News and, and, and like sites like us, let's be honest. But they wanted to do it in a way that looked fresh, looked different, was slightly edgy, and it, it certainly was edgy, and that it caught some things you know, that perhaps shouldn't have been caught. But and it, it, if you're a Jeremy Corbyn fan, what came across was how laid back he was, how committed he was, how sort of passionate he was, how everyone around him uh, is a sort of vaguely, it looks, might look a bit ramshackle, but they quite like the integrity mm. of it all. 
If you don't like Jeremy Corbyn, you will come away thinking, wow, that's a bunch of incompetent, incoherent um, amateurs. And I think that's the way some of it was received by some MPs who tweeted, you know, crikey, thank God I wasn't anywhere near that. And other people. Um, the, the problem, I think, was Seamus Milne's uh, line about leaking PMQs became a problem within the party. Now, I know who the two people are who are regularly in PMQs from HQ, and I'm not going to name them, uh, but then most people would never have heard of them. But I know that people like them were furious at the suggestion that they would somehow do something that would undermine the Labour Party. And uh, without revealing exactly what went on, I think that the finger is being pointed at people who are not in the inner circle and not necessarily working at Labour HQ, but other people who may attend late on in those PMQ prep sessions uh, who might be accused of leaking things for their own ends. Now, that's all you know, very beltway, very internal politics. And the fact that we're even talking about it says a lot about the state of the low party right now. Why aren't, you know, you're hearing more about um, the stuff that Labour wants to promote in a positive sense. Again, it's all about, it's a bit like the anti-Semitism row. It's all about internal uh, processes, and which again brings you back to why they did this documentary. Whether it failed or not, you can be the judge, but th- some people around Corbyn think it worked simply because they got out the message that actually, look, we're, we're different, and different is good. I thought the star of the show was the, uh, the chap who has to make uh, Corbyn dress well. I think he yeah. got it really well, I think. I thought it was, it was, thought it was interesting. I, I haven't actually seen, seen, seen the whole thing, and I've kind of deliberately tried to do that, because I've, I've kind of watched it through it being kind of chopped up in, on social media and, and, and elsewhere. The kind of, Ned, you, you should be cre- take credit here, the kind of little gifts <laughs> that, have, that have emerged of kind of um, Seamus Mill being kind of told, not told off, but being, being told that his big speech attacking the Tories is being, being watered down by, by Jeremy Corbyn and his, and his reaction, the kind of, there are elements of like, very much like The Office and the kind of mugging to camera and, and the kind of little winks and, and nuances and stuff like that. And just on that aspect, I thought it was, it was kind of thrilling because it allowed to kind of, you know, the pe- people who want to knock Corbyn to share these gifts that that we <laughs> that we've created of of incompetence, but at the same time, you could share a lovely bit of um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn's wife wa- walking down the street and kind of say uh, and, and 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 noting that um, uh, Jeremy's not very good at housework, but he's a good politician, and everyone goes, "Oh, isn't that isn't yeah. isn't, isn't yeah. that kind of nice?" So it was it, it was strange. It, it, it was almost like a media debate just about how how things are kind of presented but but I, I, I thought that was kind of fascinating the way the thing's been chopped up and, and reinterpreted yeah, for I, whatever kind of purpose people wanted to be interpreted. I thought one thing that jumped out at me was the difference in how relaxed Corbyn was when you saw him walking around his constituency in Islington in North London clearly very at home clearly being an MP there for a long time and then him in the more formal setting of being in Westminster and being the leader he was noticeably very comfortable, very calm when yeah. just meeting people in the street. In his, he doesn't. He clearly doesn't like it. He really doesn't like a lot of parts of the job of being leader and being cooped up in Westminster. He's much more at ease on the campaign trail because that's what he spent 30, 40 years of his life doing, don't forget. Um, and his task, and it's quite a task, is to somehow merge that campaigning zeal with the normal rules and edicts of parliamentary life. And that, that's not easy. And that, that bit where he, he, he sounds paranoid about the media and, you know, even the kind of, the, 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 the Guardian, the, the, the ever-friendly kind of Guardian being suggesting columnists are, are obsessed. Actually, that makes him look weird amongst 
amongst us lot, but probably the same people who are booing Laura Coonsberg at at, um, at at speeches are probably going, yeah, no, that's he, he's right on the media. They're dreadful. They're terrible. So that brings us sort of, not really, but a bit to the quiz. Okay. Um, so this is about Jeremy Corbyn. It's called Corbyn or Corb Out. Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to read some quotes out about the European Union. Um, some of them Jeremy Corbyn said, so that's Corbyn. Yeah. Some aren't him at all. That's Corb out. Okay. Yeah? Good, we get yeah. it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like... So this is a quote about the EU. What we have is the worst of all worlds. That sounds like Corbyn. Yeah, Corbyn from before the, ele- the, before the campaign. Yeah, Corbyn. Yeah, that's right. That was Jeremy Corbyn in April 2013. Here's the next one. I've always thought it as positive to say that the important thing about democracy is that we can remove without bloodshed the people who govern us. That sounds like Tony Benn. Yeah. Rather than Corbyn. I'm going to say Corbout. Corbout? Yeah, Great. it's someone from the hard left. Absolutely right, Paul. Now, are you looking at my screen? I no, think... I'm not looking at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Cheat. For, li- for listeners, it's he's just... sat next to me. I'm I feel not... like he's looking over yeah. my shoulder. No, absolutely right. right. That, that was Tony Benn arguing against Maastricht. Yeah. So here's another one. There is no future for a Europe that turns its smaller nations into colonies of debt peonage. Ooh. Well, he shouldn't be saying peonage. that, but... Uh, it doesn't sound very Corbyn. I'm going to say Corbout. I'm going to go Corbyn. I think he might have said that. Well, embarrassingly, Paul, that was Jeremy Corbyn. Not only was that Jeremy Corbyn, that was him writing on the Huffington Post in, <laughs> in June 2015, after he'd announced he was running for leader. Oh, that's interesting. Which I thought was interesting. Oh, that's good. Okay, and... I'll give you one more. Uh, if I was a Greek citizen, I'll be out on the streets protesting tonight. Greece is being bullied to stay in the Euro by the EU elite. Ooh, elite like, bullied. Like John oh, yeah, it could be, could be careful. Right, and Corbyn, to I'm going to go Corbyn. I'm going to go Corbyn. I'm going to go Corbyn. Nigel Farage. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> then it could have been, then right. it could have been <laughs> Corbyn is... Says it all. Says it all, yeah. Okay, that was the quiz. Um, So to end, because we're all quite sensitive souls in the media, here is a clip, uh, as mentioned earlier, of Laura Koonsberg being hissed and booed by Labour supporters before she even asked a question, which I thought was a bit rude. See you later. Uh, Laura Koonsberg from the BBC. Thank you very much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.